evening and welcome. Welcome. Welcome to All About All. It's all with an O about with an O about with an O. You know the drill. My name's B. Peterson. I'm your host. And with me as always is. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. Should, should I do Emerald to match your Julia Child there? Um, mm, let's get that chicken in the oven. <laughs> My name is Whitney Seibold. Bam! Uh, I, uh, Blam! <laughs> I, uh, I hail from all the way over from the critically acclaimed network, and uh, we're here to talk about what we saw in Ovid this week, because right. it's fun to do that. Yes. Yep, Ovid.tv is the streaming service that shows the art house, the art house, the independent of the independent, the stuff that plays in movie theaters for a, a day, and if not movie theaters, maybe a museum. Um, so, Yeah. Uh, that's our bag. We talk in, we talk uh, uh, art house outsider film. I something I, I meant to bring up last week that I didn't uh, when talking about tabletop gaming is, uh, you know of Will Wheaton through Star Trek because you the Next Generation is your favorite television show. Uh, that and uh, I actually know about Will Wheaton through that and through the movie Stand by Me. Okay, which I I also grew up watching. I just think it's interesting because I've started watching the Next Generation with y'all for all, all yesterdays and I do not recognize Will Wheaton because like who because he looks completely different as a kid than he does as an adult and I know Will Wheaton I grew up on Will Wheaton but for a completely different show I grew up with Will Wheaton's tabletop and mm. which is his web series that he did for like five five years uh, four seasons of where he would invite friends and various celebrity figures to play tabletop games with him and so i just wonder have you seen will wheaton's tabletop oh yes i have uh my my uh, my wife is a huge uh board gaming aficionado we have okay. many many board games in our house and yeah as such we we sort of drifted toward tabletop at some point yeah, because I grew up on that show. I loved playing tabletop games as a kid, and I'm getting back into it, and I'm really enjoying it. Do you have a favorite? What 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 is your favorite board game? Like, what what do you? Is it is it your bag? Uh, well, the um, the game I grew up playing, sort of, I played with my family the most was just Scrabble, uh, right. and uh, which you know is is not part of. It's hard to say when sort of this particular wave of of board gaming began, but yeah, mm -hmm. it, all there was this gigantic boom during my lifetime. Uh, so at, after that, after like all of this, maybe you could call it the um, oh, was it like Puerto Rico or Carcassonne? Some mm -hmm. somewhere around there was when board games like right really started the turn to of the explode. Century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we play a lot of Trogdor the board game, okay. which is based on the cartoons on HomestarRunner.com. Okay. Uh, if you know, if if you were in college in the early two thousands, you know about Homestar Runner. Uh, and over the course of those series of cartoons, one of the characters invented a cartoon show with uh, with dragons in it, and they made a game based on the dragon and. It's a game where you play a dragon who's trying to lay waste to the countryside, and you flip over tiles as you burn things and eat people. It's uh, it's pretty fun. It's just elaborate enough that you can get the hang of it, but it's also just hard enough that you don't win all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's it's a good level of challenge. I'm also a big fan of a, right. a game called Splendor, 
Uh, Splendor oh, yeah. was a yeah. Splendor was a game. Uh, my wife and I were actually just playing online last night and trying okay. to do some challenge. It's about it has sort of a, a Renaissance vague aesthetic about it, and uh, you collect gems and gather cards and try to get points. It's it's pretty simply laid out. Uh, we've we've played that one a lot too. All right. Um, as for me, um, like I really do enjoy stuff like Carcassonne. Um, that's that's just a that's just a good game to play and to get other people into tabletop gaming is because it's very easy to learn and kind of it's it's infectious. But anyway, for my money, the best uh, uh, tabletop games that I've ever played are um, Takedo, um, which is a beautiful beautiful Ooh, board yeah, yeah. game. I've um, I've played Takedo. Yeah, and yeah, that's just that's it's 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 lovely. Uh, that's it's the artwork is spectacular and the game is never the same twice, which for me, replay value has to be quite high. Um, if I want to really get into a, into a, a game and mm. then, uh, and then stockpile, which is a bluffing game, um, that is based on a stock market, but where it's called the game of insider trading, where you have various different companies, um, that are, have, you can buy shares in, and at the end of each round, uh, you roll a bunch of dice to see what um, what can happen to potentially happen to each of the companies. Either it's going to go up in value, or go down in value, or pay dividends. And you know what one of the companies is going to do at the end of the round. And so you're mm-hmm. trading and buying and selling s- shares of stock based on your little bit of insider information. Anyway, it's a it's a it's a really lovely buffing game, and anyway, I just wanted to talk about tabletop games up top because, uh, yeah, because I just I just think it's funny that I I know Will Wheaton from from this web series, and and uh-huh. now I'm getting to know him through Star Trek, and I'm like, man, he's a child. He has he looks weird <laughs> without facial hair. <laughs> anyway, I, um, no, tabletop was really great. There's an episode with uh. A journalist named Jenna Bush, who I've actually been on her podcast before, right. so I'm like one one generation removed from from being on tabletop. Yeah, um, yeah. I I've I've actually over the past three weeks been rewatching all of tabletop. I've only got like three episodes left of season four, which is their last season. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I've I've I I'm trying to remember, and I can't really remember which episode Jenna Bush is in. I'm pretty sure it's in the fourth season. Um, but okay. anyway. Um, all right, let's let's get to let's get down to brass tacks. Um, you finished nostalgia for the life, so why don't we why don't we wrap up our thoughts on that? Uh, sure thing. I I don't know what to call this trilogy of films from Patricio Guzman. All I, think, I know is that I they think nostalgia trilogy. I think works quite well because it is talking yeah, about yeah. memory for our homeland. Like anyway. the, yeah, yeah. The, the nostalgia we we'll call it heretofore the nostalgia trilogy. Um, because uh, it, it's the pearl, the pearl Button, Nostalgia for the Light, and The Cordillera of Dreams. And now I just want a Criterion box set of these three mm-hmm. films. Oh, yeah. Uh, just because of how gorgeous they are. These are films that I think would benefit from a big, like, big 4K uh, digital restoration just because oh, yes. the photography is so beautiful. Uh, and I, I appreciate how uh, Patricio Guzman is using the geography of his country to uh, kind of push both the, the two extremes of his country. The the gorgeousness of its place in the natural world and how it is so like 
uniquely connected to the natural world because of its geography and also like because of the dictatorship how much death there is that's been strewn about by the human beings that would ruin that ideal Mm -hmm. uh so uh i think the pearl button might be my favorite but they're all great Mm -hmm. I, i think the pearl button is like he's trying out a lot of these ideas for the first time and i feel like he's doing a lot more uh in being slightly less focused, he's actually uh, seems a little bit more enthused, if you can describe a Petitio Guzman film that way, because they're actually very slow-moving and contemplative. Uh, but yeah, I, as we as we covered this film last week, this is about uh, the Atacama, uh, which is the desert to the no- in the north of, northern part of Chile, and right. it is the driest place on Earth. There's no water there. Uh, because there's no water, it means the atmosphere is very clear, which makes it great for astronomers. They can see the heavens much more clearly from the surface of the Earth. Uh, and But because of the lack of moisture and because of the sun, it also means human bodies don't decompose. So when bodies were disposed of in this desert by uh, by the dictatorship, a lot of them didn't rot. So people are like still years and years and years, decades after the fact, going to this desert and finding the remains of loved ones. So this is a yet another uh, sort of Venn diagram in this series of how the na- beauty of the natural world is completely uh, like sort of shares this kind of chummy relationship with human death. Uh, all, all of this is, you know, and what I appreciate is also that Patricio Guzman, and we've talked about this about all three films, is that he's not necessarily talking to a, a typical type of historian or professor. He's talking to also a lot of writers and artists and astronomers and people of a lot of different disciplines about their view of uh, what was going on and how it fits in, not just directly, but also very abstractly or poetically to the actual geography of the country. So he is concerned with the not just the political importance of art, but also how the aesthetics do affect the character of the country. Um, you, you, you call it, you, you call it the nostalgia trilogy. It is very much about uh, memory. And the thing about nostalgia and, and memory is that we tend to embellish the past in our heads. Uh, you know, time, time is, you know, we experience it in a linear fashion, but we don't remember it in a linear fashion. We remember sort of the more vivid things, and those vivid things sometimes become more vivid or more important as you grow older. And I feel like Patricio Guzman is finally uh, contending with that, with sort of a lot of the, the nostalgic positive things he has about his country that he moved out of many, many years ago, but also uh, has to sort of reconcile that with the horrors that that happened there yeah um i think nostalgia for the light is i i honestly can't really pick a favorite out of the three um, <laughs> i just i just they're they all have their own their own strengths i think nostalgia for the light is the most i is i'm trying to find the word for it but it's somewhere in between emotional and visceral or moving where just the testimonies of the women going and searching for their loved ones is I think this, the thing that gets me out of anything in these three films um, it's what gets me the most is just hearing hearing the pleas of these older women 
I cannot, I cannot die until I find him. I cannot do it. My life is incomplete until I find him. If I find him, then I can die. Mm. And it's just, it's, it's that simple for them. And yeah. And it was, and it was so simple an idea for the dictatorship to dispose of them. And one of the last images of the movie is a wall of, of missing persons Mm. of just various in there. It's on like a stone wall and the wall is decaying and the people's faces are getting eroded away. And Mm. it's how, how we cannot forget. We must not forget what happened here, what was done here. And and how all of this ties into the stars and the cosmos and the infinite. And the last line of Nostalgia for the Light is we're looking over the valley um, in one of the big cities. And so we just see all the night skies and all of the light coming from the city. Something that we haven't seen because all the light through the rest of the film has been from the stars. But here mm-hmm. we see the city and it's very lit up and a lot of noise pollution and Patricio Guzman's narration is like, and the universe passed over them without them noticing. And it's just like, it's, it's yeah. No, Nostalgia for the Light is, is a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, yeah, so, yep. Uh, uh, yep, Chile, mm. Chile, Chilean cinema. That the, the, Those three films from Chilean cinema is, is very good. Um, Ed from Chile, we moved to China. We hop over the sea and we go from Chile to China, and uh, well, the the filmmaker that we're spotlighting this week um, uh, is uh, Yang Ming Ming, um, who has two films on Ovid. Um, her first short film that uh, won a lot of awards back in 2012, and we'll also get to her feature. But uh, right now, let's talk about her her short film, and. It is called Female Directors, and it's forty, a little over 40 minutes, and it is the story of... Well, it's a mockumentary. So that's, that's first of all, it's a mockumentary. It is a fictional documentary about these mm-hmm. two young girls who are in film school, and they're making a movie together about their own lives and their hopes for, um, for further education and for where they want to go with their life. Um, like mm-hmm. physically where they want to live and also their um, their hijinks that ensue when they realize that they've both seduced the same older guy um, <laughs> and it's a story of how the the trials of making a, fo- a film and the trials of maintaining a friendship while doing that and while maintaining a relationship with this person who they can use to their advantage, this older man who we never see, um, and how, how that affects their relationship. And we get to see over a course of a couple of years how, how that goes. And I'll just say it right now, this movie's spectacular. Females Directors is amazing. Uh, th- this this is a very very film school film because it is about these two young women who are in film school and so they are attempting to make a movie about sort of the techniques they're learning while at the same time trying to completely subvert and break down all of that stuff uh, and you can see that there's a a lot of uh, there's a improv improvisational uh, nature to this this kind of film where they're 
making kind of like trying to push a certain kind of narrative, but it's not really working. So you can see that they're not actually not the greatest of improv partners because they'll cut each other off and start new narratives and they get kind of pissed off at each other, but being pissed off is actually very genuine because they're kind of mad at each other. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's incredibly self-aware as a lot of film students are. The relationship between uh, Yang Mingming and Yue Guo is, is the other actress. Uh, I, I don't know how genuine it is. I don't know how much of it is staged and how much of it is is uh, is actually just them sort of getting to know one another? I got a sense that they they really cared about each other, mm-hmm. but they also really resented each other. Yeah, and they and that they were kind of in love, but they also kind of hated each other. There's definitely like a queer romance angle that's not really fully explored. They're they're right. They talk about each other in very intimate terms. There's even a scene where they like do sort of sexual things in front of one another, and it's not really sure if they're supposed to be lovers, but they're also, uh, you know, a lot of the animosity comes from the fact that they're dating the same man. Uh, Young Ming Ming is one of those filmmakers who I, I want to see her make like a hundred movies. I want to see just what she does just because she's right. so creative and so energetic, but I never, ever, ever want to hang out with her because she <laughs> seems like, she seems like she would just like, she, she's so like caustic and confrontational and annoyed at all times. It's like, you just, she puts off a lot of bad, bad energy. So I mean, she, she seems, yeah, she, she seems like she of... she's a very bad friend. <laughs> she's she's a lot, is what she is. She's got a lot of baggage <laughs> that she's carrying around. Um, in in yeah. both of the films that we see, because she she acts, she stars in both of them. Um, I what I found so I just I don't know. This is female directors is a movie that I could be making right now but I'm not mm-hmm. making. And if I did make it, it wouldn't come out as good. Um, I, I feel because like what, because first of all, they, yes, this is clearly a film student film. Um, w- there are references. They talk about having gone to a Bergman film festival. And while they're doing this, all of the shots that they, that we see are them emulating Bergman movies. Like they're just, they're just ripping off shots from Bergman movies. Um, for for this little section of the film uh one of the girls ringtones is california dreamin from chunking express um so they're clearly fans of wong kar wai um and then we watch we literally see them watching a brighter summer day um over the course of the film um and so they're clearly they, they both love movies and they have such they've got so much energy when making this thing that they are literally grabbing the camera away from each other. It's like, look, I, I have a narrative I want to explore with you now. Let's talk about you. It's like, no, but I want oh. to explore your character more. Um, and and he, you're right. It's not totally clear how much of this is a performance. How I found it, though, is that I'm pretty sure that pretty much all of this is a performance. That these, mm. that Yang Mingming is putting on a performance. Um, the other actress is putting on a performance, and these are characters that they're playing because they're not playing. They they aren't playing characters with their names. Um, mm. They're they're different. They the characters have completely different names, 
and but yeah what I there is and there is a queer romance I don't know if the director if Yang Ming herself is queer and so mm-hmm. that but that clearly there is a homoeroticism in this um, you're right it's not explored that much they kind of go there and then they kind of back off but what ultimately I think this film really succeeds at is showing how a friendship kind of changes over time and how Mm. a film project will change over time um because at one point there is like a time jump um that and you think that the movie's about to end but no it keeps going and now it's kind of about this other thing and it's about how the relationship has evolved and how one is less into movies now but still wants their story to be told and that is it's reminded me of when I tried to make a short film in high school and how it started out by making this one movie and then the project just kind of stopped halfway through and then a couple years later like a year later I got together with some other people and we changed we took all the footage from that first short idea for a short film and we turned it into a different short film and mm. it became this other completely different project and so this is I I just had a blast watching this and watching the creative energies flow like it's I was reminded of like watching Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You and just like so many ideas are just being thrown out on the screen and it might not be the most cohesive project when it all said and done but it feels it feels raw and and yeah. honest like this is this is something that only kids this age could make you can't yeah, a 50 yeah. year old could not make this movie um this is this is two yeah two people in their twenties who are clearly trying to confront a film professor about something. They're they're <laughs> they're, they're trying to uh, explode all the lessons like oh the the, prof- the film professor say here are all the rules on how to make a proper film and they're going out into the street saying well we're not going to do that we're going to do this important art project man. Uh, and in, in that regard, I was actually uh, reminded very much of the short films of Cheryl Dunier, uh that we covered on this mm-hmm. podcast earlier, in that those are also films about uh, a young woman in film school who is trying to confront in a very specific kind of way unique to film students. Right, and it's not quite a narrative, and it's not quite a documentary. Uh, Cheryl Dunier called mm-hmm. her own her what she calls her video work, um, her Dunier mentories, and yeah, this would right. kind of work as like it's it's in that Dunier mentory genre where it's a, it's a mockumentary, but it's infusing what's actually going on in this person's life, going to film school with a friend, with this stuff that is not happening in mm. that is that is completely fictitious with this relationship with an older man who they nickname short stuff together which you know <laughs> great and, burn. and that they uh-uh. and they and that they t- eventually tell him over the phone yeah it's like by the way we know each other we're friends we both don't like you and goodbye you're never going to see either of us again also we I, we nicknamed you short stuff ha 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 and i like i like to th- i like to think that an actual film professor was on the other end of the phone when they made that call <laughs> yeah it's like can you help us out for one shot we just need you on the other end of a phone line or, um, or they were just pranking him it's like you'll never see us again your name is short stuff hi bye and then they call back <laughs> that was for a film we were just we were, we, we were just fun and yet 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, I I think this is an incredibly successful uh, short film. I I really adored uh, being transported into these girls' worlds and and how it doesn't shy away with dealing with uh, the politics of the time, like specifically like the economic politics of how I want to move here so that my kid could get into a good school. And mm. I actually kind of want a kid. And the, all of the very different, at one point, um, one of the characters uh, gets an abortion and it's talking about how let's help each other out in that. And it's all this different stuff. And it's all, it's all, it's all emotionally, I think, completely emotionally honest and i think it, it's mm. in that while it while the pacing might not be perfect or while it might be a little confusing to get, grab hold of what's going on at times that this is a singular work of of create of creative a burst of creative creative energy and i don't think anyone yeah, can take yeah. that away from from female directors yeah even the title is this wonderful uh <laughs> sort of confrontation of film school cliches like oh well right. we'll do male directors and female directors have to sit down here's a movie about female told female directors directors about so, yeah, female we, directors yeah we get we get that nice uh abstract title it, it, it's just it's really enervating to to see i, I hate to sound it, it sounds condescending when i say it because i'm old but the work of of young people so, just really so Whitney, this is the part where I push up my glasses and say, well, actually, because the word enervating actually means to remove energy. Um, it's one ah, of those words it. that sa- that means the opposite of what it sounds like. Um, so enervate is to, well, to drain of energy. So it's, it is the opposite of enervating. Is the, uh, excuse me, it, it is, it is, it is exciting. Energizing uh, and enervating. It's enervating in that I am an old man and I know I will just not not have the kind of energy that these filmmakers do ever in my life ever again. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm 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 on the back half here, sliding down the slow slope to the grave. Speaking of which, girls always happy. Uh, well, okay. Well, actually, before before we get to girls always happy, we're gonna jump okay. from we're gonna jump from China back to Chile. Okay. Be- okay. Because, love it. I love it. Okay. Because this, I had some extra time this week, and uh, one of the filmmakers that I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that I was wanting to get to on Ovid uh, was the a Chilean filmmaker named uh, Dominga Sotomayor, um, and she is a young person who has made a few features at this point, three features, um, and like three or four short films, and I got to three of her short films this week. Um, okay. And so I'm just going to talk about them all here. Um, And I'm going to talk about them all as one block because I think that they serve as a really great triple feature of a, of stylistic exercises. So we have um, three shorts, um, De Bajo or Below, which is 18 minutes, El Montaña, The Mountain, which is eight minutes, and Video Juego or Video Game, which is six minutes. And each of these short films um, are all looking at... um, Awkward family dynamics. So I, so it's awkward family dynamics from the from an awkward angle. And what I mean by that is, is that we are looking at points of change in each of the in all of these films in all of these films' characters' lives. Um, we see different f- family members who um, are at a bit of a distance and aren't really sure about where they stand with each other and 
how we are being presented with these scenes in very strange distancing ways. And this, and that is, and in the, so in the case of Below, the Bajo, um, we are seeing a sort of get to, family get together for a solar eclipse that is happening. There's going to be a total solar eclipse and this family is is all getting together to go watch it up at this one particular family member's, this man's house up in the mountains. Um, and we see how this man is separated from um, his, I'm assuming, ex-wife and how he and how the wife has full custody of the of the kid and how the kid is kind of no longer really likes this man, no longer likes her dad and how there is now a new dad in the picture who she is clearly um, closer to. And there's also cousins and uh, who are in the picture. And so we are presented in, we are presented with the situation and how all of these interactions unfold from the perspective of a bird's eye view. From the entire duration of the short, we are like 50 feet above the scene, um, which is huh. outside on a patio and there's a pool. Um, we are 50 feet above the scene looking straight down. And while we'll cut to different angles um, and where we're like maybe a little bit closer to different sections, we are always looking straight down on the characters. And so we never see anyone's face unless they are looking up at the sky to look at the eclipse. And as a result, okay. we never really see anyone's emotional reactions. We never see their physical performance. We only see these little dots and figures walking around across this patio or swimming in the pool or they're at the table cutting up vegetables. We never actually see anyone's faces except for those brief moments where they look up at the sky. Hmm. And so we are put at a distance and we are looking at this drama play out um, as if it is like ants running around on the ground. Um, and as a result, it creates this very, like, we are an alien being looking down on humanity and trying to understand this family, like what is going mm. on here. The Mountain is the story of two distant relatives who are climbing a mountain in Spain. They have come from different countries for a funeral. We learn quickly that they are, basic, they are taking whoever died's ashes up to spread at the top of this mountain. Mm-hmm. And over the course of this eight-minute short, we rarely ever see the characters' faces because we are focusing on the mountain and the vistas. And so we'll see these characters in a distant profile or the camera will be on the ground and we'll only see their feet. Um, We never really get good looks at their faces. And the relationship between this young boy and this man in his late 20s is clearly these people don't know each other that well. They haven't seen each other for many years. And so Mm. we are at a distance as the characters are, once again, at a distance from each other. And they're trying to find a connection. And we're trying to connect to these people without the use of their facial performances. And then finally, we have video game, videojuego, and that is about what... It is a single lockdown six-minute shot of 
a young boy playing a video game. We don't actually, we, and so he is center frame, like right in the middle of the frame. He's playing Wii tennis, I think is what he's doing. And we just see him playing the tennis. We hear the wax in the background from the TV. And in the background behind this kid, kind of obscured by this kid, is a couple who who is broken up and the guy is moving out. Hmm. And we see him like taking boxes away, unplugging the lamp. And so the scene literally gets darker so we can't really see people's faces. And at one point they realize, oh wait, I, the TV's mine, I gotta take the TV, but the kid has to finish his tennis game, and so the couple who is now breaking up has to just kind of sit there next to each other and wait for their kid to finish the game. And mm. so how I can kind of convey is to call back to um, the Lucrecia Martel podcast that I did with Harold. Um, Lucrecia Martel is an Argentine filmmaker who in her early work portrayed a lot of f- large families or large groups of people um, who have kind of vague relationships to each other in these very damp, dirty places and how everything's kind of unclear as to how everything's going to turn out. However, we get a lot of close-ups and we are entered into the character's world. We are very much within their world. So I would call the work, at least the works that I have seen from Domingo Sotomayor so far, um, Lucrecia Martel at a distance, where we are seeing a lot of similar family family scenes play out. However, we are not entered into the world. We are very specifically removed from from getting into their emotions. And we kind of have to basically interpret from the little information that we have, the little body parts that we can see, um, we tr- and we try to get the picture of humanity from a distance. Family relationships, strained family relationships from a distance. And it is a very fascinating watch. Um, because it is a constant, you are having to put in all of this effort to try and figure out what's going on. And Domingo Sotomayor is deliberately pushing you away and saying, no, you can enter into this, um, you 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 can't you you I'm not letting you in I'm not letting you in and you just get to mm. you have to focus on the the stuff that you normally wouldn't focus on you're only being given shots of an empty pool you're only being given shots of a mountain you're only being given shots of a kid playing a video game the central human drama is out of your view and the connection if any at all happens is going to be um is going to be, that's almost like the afterthought. And I really don't know. I, it's a, it's a very interesting artistic exercise. And that's, I think where it succeeds is these films succeed as artistic exercises. Um, Mm -hmm. and as fascinating watches, I'm very interested to, to see her features because I don't know how you keep this up for, an hour. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I can have. All I have to say right now is that I'm very intrigued by Domingo Sotomayor's work. I want to see more of it because I want to see how she keeps us at a distance while still holding our attention because she was able to do it for six minutes and eight minutes and 18 minutes. 
mm-hmm. but I'm, I want to know how she does it for 30 or 60 or 100. So anyway, so I think, I think maybe checking out Dominga Sotomayor's work to see how you, what your take is on it would be, I'm very interested to know because right. I came away from this triple feature very intrigued and a little confused. <laughs> um, okay, well, let, let me see if I can get to that for maybe our next episode. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll just add it to my list right now. Uh, I have to write down and add things as we go. Otherwise, uh, mm-hmm. I will completely forget. But Domingo Sotomayor, uh, these these all sound very interesting. Um, I I actually already had on my my to do list her uh, her film Too Late to Die Young. Right. So uh, okay. that that'll be a uh, it'll be interesting to have uh, video game the mountain and uh, what was the other one Blow and and below I'll, I'll i'll see if i can get into some yeah, of those yeah if you look as, up as well. if you just look up domingo sotomayor um ovid does this nice lovely thing where they'll just have a director's collection where you can just yeah. add an entire director's filmography to your list um and so and it's really easy to it 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 cleans up your your my list page a lot they just have like <laughs> okay i can just go to the domingo sotomayor section of my list yeah, and yeah. they're all of her films are right there um, so, all right. And from Chile back to China, um, with girls always happy. Uh, why don't you, why don't you introduce, um, introduce this one? Um, well, this, this is Yang Ming Ming's, uh, first feature film. In fact, I, I was thinking she had like this incredibly long filmography, but no, she's only directed the sh- short and this feature so far. Uh, she edited another film as well. Um, so, uh, in this one, um, I, I was, talking about how I, I like I like her ideas and I like her as a filmmaker, but I don't want to hang out with her. And that is only like cemented further with Girls Always Happy <laughs> because uh, Young Ming Ming plays an author named Wu and she lives with her mother who's played by an actress named Nai An. Uh, they live in a little small apartment in Beijing and they're both writers. And their relationship is, how to say... Uh, combative at best <laughs> every single interaction they have every single interaction they have is confrontational and accusatory on some level they wake up in the morning you snored last night they're, they're at breakfast you made the water too hot well you don't you never like it that way anyway and they're gonna go out and you should date that guy and oh we should try on this outfit but not pay for it because it's too expensive and you don't see your grandfather enough and that's going to get us written out of the will um, yeah yeah uh, and you you should I'm gonna get back together with my ex well I'm gonna get together with my older film professor who's creepily played by my own film professor uh, <laughs> and and every single scene between these two women is it, it it makes me really uncomfortable. It's it's the same feeling I got when watching something like Ron Howard's Parenthood or Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, where just everything happened like feels like it's going wrong at all times. And yeah. the curious thing about Girls Always Happy is it doesn't really grow or crest to any kind of dramatic. Uh, reckoning that they have with their relationship. It just kind of continues apace. Right. And, you know, they, they're going to sell a story, maybe not. They resent that one is successful and the other isn't, and then the other successful and the first one isn't. And, yeah, for almost two full hours, we just get to see these two women essentially 
yelling at each other. Right. And I find it very um, sort of this fascinating look at a very specific kind of relationship that we typically don't see in film because a lot of relationships in films, fictionalized, fictional versions of relationships we see in films uh, have to be scripted and there has to be a story and a story is predicated on something changing. Something right. has something to alter. Something has to resolve. Yeah, exactly. Something has to be set up and something has to resolve. There has to be a change. That's kind of the only real thing that defines a story. Uh, and as such, there's going to be, uh, I hate you and now I love you. I love you and now I hate you. And this one, you get actually a much more real life version of the way of, I think, a lot of family members interact in that they love each other, but they don't like each other. They, they they hate all of their little they're tiny habits. They're not good roommates. <laughs> no, they're terrible together, and they're they're bitter, and they're superstitious, and they just hate everything about one another. And uh, and and it doesn't help that they're living in uh, an apartment that resembles an apartment from a Simon Lang film, and that it's like right. uh, like damp and kind At of one messy point, and the rotting. Roof starts to leak during a storm. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we got to get that motif as well. Uh, if if they were living in sort of like a, a comfortable, uh, like if they were really really wealthy, for instance, and they were living in this gigantic comfortable mansion, the nature of their relationship would be a lot different. But as such, they're kind of like boxed in together in these little tiny cramped apartments, just at each other's throats. And you realize that this is kind of the only world that they have now, right? And they can show each other up in little tiny ways, and they can still produce art together. And the lack of catharsis is weirdly daring, because you realize after a while, that catharsis isn't going to come. No. Uh, there are so many narrative threads. There's a huge narrative thread with um, with the grandfather character, and how... Mm. Um, how he's getting old and he's going to die and how they're really wanting to make sure that he, they get into his will. And guess what? It's never resolved. Um, <laughs> it's, you're waiting for the big moment for the grandfather to die. And you know what? It just doesn't happen. He just, you know, at one point exits the film, but he's a, we assume that he's just still alive back at the apartment, back at his apartment. Um, there are threads with relationships that just kind of come and go. This movie is paced so strangely. We start out with like little chapter, like intertitles where it's like part one, uh, milk. And for this Mm. section of the movie, there's this little bag of milk that becomes a, an object that, uh, uh, Yang Ming Ming and her, and his character and her, and her mother, um, kind of fight over something they bicker over. And then we have chapter two, and it's about this um, lamb, um, I think it's lamb, uh, uh, roast stew. And that mm-hmm. comes in at about maybe 20, 25 minutes in the film. And guess what? There just isn't a third chapter. That one just lasts for the rest of the movie. Um, <laughs> so it's just, this movie is paced so strangely in that it is very slow and very repetitive, and I never got bored. I put this on... <laughs> Right as I got, um, I flew into Austin, um, and I put this on that night. It was like eleven at night, um, and I was like, "I I know I got to go to bed soon. 
um, and I'm kind of tired, but I'll just maybe I'll maybe stop halfway because this is a long movie, and I'll finish it in the morning. And I just watched all of it because I never got bored, and I never wanted to turn it off because I always wanted to see what happened. Um, something that we haven't really mentioned is that this movie is also quite funny. Um, that hmm. Yang Ming has a very playful sense of direction in that she just she'll have these sequences where. Uh, Yang Ming Ming is just zipping along on a scooter and it's just kind of cheerful and weird there is a scene with a slide that is hilarious um, and I just yeah I don't know what it is about this movie it is very slice of life in that this is just a mother and a daughter living together and that's the movie and we'll see them become more amicable and then become much less amicable and there will be a fight and then the movie will continue and there will be another fight and you think that maybe they've turned a corner and then they have the worst fight of the movie and it is so cutthroat and you are shocked at what these two women will say to each other (laughs) and then the movie continues and they become friends again because this is how it's like living Mm. like I mean this is kind of what I feel like I'm living right now where I'm like my situation is like yeah I should probably maybe move out at some point in the near future but my options aren't great right now and I kind of get into fights with my parents on the regular, but then also have really nice moments with my parents on the regular. And it's just kind of, that's, that's life. That's life. That's all it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and, and within this movie, there is also lots of film. The film professor um, has a, has a club, essentially a movie club where they go and like, all right, we finished that Bellatar or we, they're talking about slow cinema and how there's like, man, no one really does it like Bellatar. So many people just do mm. it to be slow, but Bellatar actually means his movies actually have a point. And so there'll just be <laughs> casual talk of film, something that I didn't really know was a thing, but apparently in China, there is a whole genre of movie called the anti-Japanese genre. Um, Mm -hmm. which is just about movies that I guess take down Japan. Um, That's a whole aspect of cinema that I have known nothing about and is apparently really big in China. And anyway, so there's just so many little interesting bits in this movie that underscore a very rough, but also, I don't know, easy watch for me. I don't know what it was about this movie that, Yang Ming's direction carried me along despite how cutthroat these people are. Yeah, I don't want to hang out with these people. Um, <laughs> but but I can watch a movie about them for two hours, no no problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, t- and two hours is about enough. Um, you say you weren't bored. I wasn't bored, but I could have done with maybe a little less. Uh, once I kind of realized where this was going and that the arc was just going to kind of continue, I, I realized that it, it, it got its point across pretty early on. But I do agree that, that Young Ming does have a really uh, wonderfully mean sense of humor. Like, we're, we're meant to laugh with and at these characters. You know, we're, we're meant to sympathize with with them yes but i think she's also uh welcoming us to uh accept their kind of ridiculousness in a way and uh and and as such you know we're kind of laughing but it's a dark sardonic kind of laugh about how life is kind of painful and hard a lot of the time Uh, these characters are funny but i'm not sure if i would describe them as 
happy or content, at least not in any kind of conventional sense. Uh, we're, we're just sort of like, there is a, almost a, a, a weird Kafka-esque underpinning to a lot of how they're, they're mm-hmm. trapped in, in where they are and how they're really at, at pains throughout a lot of this as well. Right. And adding on top of that Kafka thing is like there is this everybody knows about something called the relocation, which is never really explained, but it mm. basically ruined everyone's life and that everyone was given a little money and told leave. And so now mm. everyone is in worse housing and crammed together with other people and like crammed to the point where you are so close to your neighbor neighbors that you notice when they change cooking oil. Like that's, that's yeah, how crammed yeah. these people are. And so clearly, you know that everyone in this little complex um, where, um, where Yang Ming Ming and her, and her character's mother lives, like they all know that these people hate each other and are fighting all the time. And yeah, yeah. so it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's in, Yang Ming Ming is exploring dysfunctional relationships where there is still clearly a love present, but is not, is never going to shy away from the issues and the toxicity mm. that is still present. And I, yeah, I, 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 I liked that this movie was an hour and 55 minutes long. This is one of the rare occasions where I'm like, make it 80 minutes, I think it's a little too short. Make it three hours, it's a little long. I think it actually works where it's right in this weird runtime space that it's like, it's a long movie, but it's not a s- epic movie. It's just a, it's just an uncomfortable run runtime. I think yeah, an uncomfortable yeah. runtime suits this movie. So. <laughs> all right anyway that, that, that's that's fair that's fair so yeah i i i i'm really want to see yang ming's next project i really want to see and i i would i would be interested in seeing um a movie where yang ming plays a character that i would want to hang out with because <laughs> i feel like i could hang out with uh the her character from female directors for a little bit and like get a little high off of her creative energy and maybe make a short film over a couple days with her. But yeah. that's about it. I don't think I could handle any time at all with Yang Min Ming's character from Girls Always Happy. Um, <laughs> but so I, I, I want to see where, where she takes herself next. I'm very interested in seeing, in seeing the future of this filmmaker. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, that's all about Ovid um, for this week. Um, what... What are you looking at? Anything specific for next time? Oh well, I I suppose Domingo Sotomayor is is on my uh, is on my radar now. Um, but yeah, as as always, I'm kind of exploring around. I always like to see what Ovid puts in, like new, and mm-hmm. especially things that are only on Ovid. Uh, there's uh, they just put on a, a a documentary recently called The Other Side of Everything. It's a historical thing that I was really looking forward to. Uh, there's and of course there's always some prodigiously long films that I really want to get into. There's one called uh, I think it's called Heimat is a Place in Time, which is about uh, uh, generations living through Nazi Germany. Uh, there's there's plenty plenty to sift through. So those are sort of sort of the things I've been eyeballing over this last week. All right. Um, as for me, um, I'm 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 thinking I'll probably get to at least one of Domingo Sobrero's features, um, but. 
also, I think I'm just going to bite the bullet. I finally want to watch Marlena the Murderer in four acts because that just sounds Mm. like a really cool movie and it's got a really cool poster. And (laughs) um, someone I follow on Twitter recently posted um, a tweet about it and I'm like, all of those shots from that movie look incredibly dynamic, and now I am definitely going to watch this movie. So okay. I'm probably going to do that. I might throw in something else. Who knows? We'll see. Um, all right, um, Whitney, why don't why don't you tell us where people can find you that is not here? Oh gosh, where can people find me? Where can't they find me? I'm everywhere these days. No, over on uh, our podcasting network, the critically acclaimed network, uh, William Bibiani and I. Uh, have podcasts almost on a daily basis. We have mostly devoted to film and TV and popular culture. Uh, you can go over there. You can if you're a subscriber to our Patreon, you can hear a heck of a lot more. We have commentary tracks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, and also on all the social medias. Say hi. I'd be happy to hear from you. All right. As for me, I'm on Twitter, letterboxd at Blu-ray Closet. Uh, you can find me reading the rest of this lovely book, Goodbye Dragon Inn by Nick Pinkerton. Um, Mark Edward Hoyk from, uh, was very generous and gifted me, uh, sent me a copy. And I've read the first half of it on the plane over uh, to Texas, and it's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this book. I'm I'm continuing to fall in love with anything that is related to Simon Lang. Speaking of Simon Lang, um, if you are in Austin for whatever reason, if you're listening to this and you're in Austin, go watch uh, at the Austin Film Society. They're going to be playing Days and Goodbye Dragon Inn um, in the next few weeks. Um, and I want to give one a, a shout out to Harold. Um, my lovely uh, co-host uh, for the Lucrecia Martel Wiseman and Fossbender podcasts, um, because uh, my first my first day in Austin, we went to see I Am Cuba at Austin Film Society together, and that movie is so freaking epic. Um, anyway, so. All right. Uh, thank you, Harold. Thank you, Whitney, for being with me, and thank you all for listening. Pleasure. Um, this has uh, once again been a lovely week of of art house cinema, and uh, yeah, uh, th- yeah. Just thanks for being here because we knew to use a pool these days when it comes to films to focus only on the big and the mainstream stuff. So thanks for spending some time with us here today on the margins. Good afternoon. Bam. Blam. <laughs> <laughs> ah.